is an act of love and humility, really. It shows love for someone when you listen to them because you're recognizing that what they have to say is important. Uh, It's important enough for you to stop doing what you're doing. It's important enough for you to delay what you were going to say to hear what they had to say. It was important enough to not be doing all the other sorts of things you could be doing, but you're listening to them. It honors them and it honors their feelings and experiences above, above your own. And you know, this is why I don't really mind the sermon bingo thing, the silly sermon bingo thing that our junior and senior guys created a couple of weeks ago that Larry mentioned in his sermon last week. You know, it shows me that those guys are listening which is an act of love. That's what I hear from Sermon Bingo is that you guys love our church. I don't know if that's what I'm supposed to hear, but that's what I hear. So uh, listening is an act of love and most of us are so bad at it. You know, we, we struggle to listen well to our friends or our kids or our spouses and perhaps most of all to God. And so Jesus begins his parables contained in the section of Mark that we'll look at today with this word, listen. Listen up, pay attention. Jesus invites us, commands us even, to really hear what he is about to say. Uh, The trouble for many of us is that you might be familiar enough with this section of scripture where you're gonna be tempted to listen to it like a seasoned traveler uh, listening to a flight attendant as they give the pre-flight safety briefing. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you ever sat on a plane and almost felt bad for the flight attendant as he or she goes through all of the safety instructions because literally no one is paying attention. You're like, yeah, that guy over there uh, is already asleep. Uh, I'm pretty sure that girl has her headphones in. And at least, you know, nobody pays attention until you hit bad turbulence. And then you notice some folks kind of taking a little sneak peek at the safety instructions again or maybe feeling around their seat. Where was that, you know, where was that life jacket after all? I've actually been skydiving uh, twice in my life, which is probably enough for me, especially if the third time's the charm and all that. But if you wanna know like one pre-flight safety brief- briefing that has everyone's rapt attention, it is the pre-flight safety briefing for a skydive, right? It's like, okay, instructor person, I, I am all yours. Heart and soul, you got me. I mean, when life is your life is riding on your attention span, <laughs> it's like a big deal. It's life and death. And so it is with Jesus. He speaks of matters of life and death, eternal life, eternal death. So let's look at Mark 4 and let's listen to what Jesus is telling us to listen to. And as we do, we do need to talk a bit about why Jesus taught the way he did. We see through Matthew, Mark, book of Luke, that most of Jesus' teaching, at least in public settings, was through parables, through these short little stories. So we'll talk about parables in general, and then we'll look at this parable, the first parable given in Mark chapter four. There are other parables in the remainder of the chapter that we're not gonna get to today, but I'll hope that you will read those later. Uh, But this first one is a pretty important one, first of all, because Jesus, Mark, gives us Jesus' explanation of it in his chapter. And Jesus even says, if you don't understand this parable, you will not understand any of them. So we definitely need to look at at this one. So, first of all, Jesus' parables in general. 
Uh, the first thing that you might need to know about parables is that Jesus did not use them as like cute illustrations or kid stories to make his message clearer or easier to understand. I mean, you'll see what I mean. If you read the parables in the Gospels, the ones that don't give you any explanation, or if you just read the part where Jesus tells the parable and you don't read his explanation, you'll see what I mean. They're kind of more like uh, puzzles or riddles than like a great sermon illustration. I mean, just listen to this parable. As, listen to it as if you didn't already know what it meant. Okay, starting in Mark chapter four, verse one, it says, again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. So he sets up this little makeshift pulpit with a boat and the crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. So like, pay attention, everybody. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's it. Like, mic drop, sermon over. And you're like, wow, that was a short sermon. I wish Jesus was my preacher. Well, I do too. But... You know, what was that little sermon even about? You know, let's say you go with your friend to talk to them about Jesus' message over lunch and you ask your friend, so what did you think about that Jesus guy and what he said? You know, if they could send emojis, it would be the emoji that's like this, right? It's just like I blank stares because Jesus doesn't give any explanation, at least not yet. So then the 12 disciples and some other folks with them come to Jesus after his sermon and they say, hey, do you think maybe you could tell us what you meant by all that? And so Jesus responds to them in verse 11. He says, to you, it's been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Okay, well that just clears it up marvelously. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> okay, so why not be more direct then? He says he speaks in parables to those on the outside so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand. What's that all about? I mean, it seems like Jesus is using parables to intentionally veil his message from some. Why in the world would he do that? Well, Jesus is quoting here from the Hebrew prophet Isaiah. Uh, you may remember this scene, a uh, fairly well-known scene from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter six, where Isaiah the prophet has this vision of God's throne room and he's overwhelmed with the majesty of God and he cries out, you know, oh no, I'm a man of unclean lips and yet I've seen the king, the Lord of hosts, I'm done for. And then if you remember, one of the angels comes up to Isaiah, takes this like hot coal from an altar, puts it on his lips and says, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. And then Isaiah hears a voice, hears God's voice saying, who will go for me? Who will speak to my people? I guess that's how God's voice sounds-ish. But anyway, Isaiah says, you know, he hears that and he says, uh, 
Here, here I am. I, I could go for you. And then God says to Isaiah, okay, go and say to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. How would you like Isaiah's job? I mean, this is tragic. He was sent to speak to God's hard-hearted people who had rejected him again and again. And he was sent to call them back to God. But even as he did, some would become more and more resistant. Well, there's a reason that Jesus quotes from Isaiah's encounter with God here. He's saying that he's doing that same thing. He's saying that at least one of the reasons that he speaks in parables is so that even though some will hear the truth, they won't understand it. Now, why would he do a thing like that? Like, doesn't Jesus want everybody to know who he is? Well, you need to remember where we've been so far through the book of Mark. The context for this statement is, is really critical in understanding what Jesus is getting after. He's already made it pretty clear who he is. He's shown himself to have the authority to forgive sin. He's cast out demons. He's healed sickness. He's claimed to be the long-awaited joy and rest of Israel. And what's been the response to him? Now, it's been mixed at best. Some have hailed him as a great prophet. Some have begun to follow him. And then some have already begun to plot his death. I mean, even as we saw just last week in Mark chapter 3, we saw that the Pharisees, I mean, they could not be convinced for anything of Jesus' claims. Heal a man? Oh, he did it wrong. He did it on the wrong day. Cast out a demon? Oh, he must, he must have a demon too. They could not admit that he was Lord. And so Jesus began speaking more cryptically to them. Even in last week, chapter 3, we saw him speak a, a little parable at them. So now, any who want to know more about Jesus can draw near to him and find it. But for those who have no interest, for those that are hostile to him, who have already made up their minds about him, his message will go right over their heads. If you're willing to hear, Jesus will make himself more clear to you. If you're not willing to hear, Jesus may make himself less clear. I don't know if you've ever wondered about this, but you know, sometimes I just think like, why doesn't God just make himself more obvious to everyone? You know, if there's so many people who don't believe in him or whatever, why not just like show up? Or write it on the sky in a big message. You know, if Jesus is so great and Christianity is true and all that, why not be, you know, like more out there? Like maybe God needs to fire his PR person. You know, um, there's a famous atheist, Richard Dawkins. He expressed a similar sentiment in an interview with comedian Ben Stein. You know, the guy from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the teacher, Bueller, Bueller, right? So Ben Stein. And he asked him, you know, what if, Richard, after you died, you ran into God? And God said, what have you been doing, Richard? I've been trying to be nice to you. I gave you a multi-million dollar paycheck over and over again with your book, and look what you did. Well, Dawkins responded by paraphrasing another well-known atheist philosopher, Bertrand Russell, and he said that he would say something like, Sir, why did you take such pains to hide yourself? You didn't give me enough evidence. So how is it, you know, that 
people, brilliant people even, come to such different conclusions about God and about Jesus. I mean, to some, God is as plain as day. And to others, he seems so hidden. Aren't we all working with the same data here? What gives? I like the way that renowned mathematician Blaise Pascal put it. He said, there's enough light for those who only desire to see and enough obscurity for those who have a contrary disposition. Jesus might take it a step further. He would say the light that is illuminating to some is actually blinding to others. In other words, the sun that melts the snow also hardens the clay. Jesus' words are a two-edged sword. They either reveal God's kingdom to you or they conceal it, depending on the person, depending on how they listen. So I think this is a warning for us. Be careful how you listen because there may come a day where you lose the capacity to hear God's voice because you've plugged your ears for so long and God leaves the earplugs in. I mean, I can't tell you how many students, at least that I've talked to that say, yeah, I know God's important, but I'm just waiting until I get a little bit older and live a little bit, a little bit more of my life before I really get serious about him. But what if by resisting him, you're also hardening yourself to him such that when you hear more of the truth, you actually become more callous to it. And that is a fearful thing. Don't put God off. Listen while you still have ears to hear. If you want to know God, if you want to know what he's up to in the world, then you have to draw near to Jesus and you have to listen to him. I mean, the disciples here aren't any better or smarter or sharper or more special than anybody else in Israel, but they care about what Jesus has to say. And so they draw near to him. Disciples are not indifferent to Jesus' words. So Jesus uses parables to reveal to some and to conceal from others. Now let's look a bit at this parable uh, itself a little bit more. Uh, let's pick up in verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? So they've asked him about the parable. And he's like, you don't get this one. How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. So Jesus says that the sower in the parable represents somebody spreading the word. Right, so usually in the New Testament, um, the word is shorthand for the essential Christian message of forgiveness of sin and of salvation through Jesus Christ. This is what Christians call the gospel or the good news. And this is the central message of the Bible, which we often call, you know, God's word. And in the book of Mark, it's Jesus himself right now who's doing the sowing. He's the sower. In Mark chapter 1 and chapter 2, it showed him going from town to town proclaiming the gospel of good news or the word. But the sower, of course, could be anyone who goes about spreading that same message of being put right with God through Jesus. And you know, something that uh, many thoughtful readers have noticed about the sower in this parable is that he or she just seems to throw seed all over the place. You are like, is this a story about a bad farmer? <laughs> He's throwing seed on rocks, on clay, thorny soil, just all over the place. You know, but I guess don't picture uh, modern day agriculture with pristine fields plowed by GPS powered John Deere tractors. Okay, we're talking about an ancient Israeli field plowed by one guy and his ox. OK, 
okay? And like, so even as a kid uh, on my grandparents' farm, uh, when we would plant seed for ryegrass or some wheat or soybeans, I would ride on the tailgate of my dad's truck and I would just be chucking out like seed and fertilizer, seed and fertilizer, and my grandpa would come behind us with a tractor and, and plow it under. So when you're casting seed, you know, you're just casting seed. Like it gets everywhere. Have you ever seeded your lawn? You know, the little push thing just spreads it all over the place. And when we did it, it would get in the back of the truck. It would get on the road, in the ditch. Uh, it would get in my pockets. You know, it gets everywhere. And while this may not be the main focus of this parable, I think it's worth noticing that the sower doesn't just sow where he's guaranteed to get crops. He sows pretty much everywhere. Now... Uh, try to put together what I mean. Because of our cultural climate, I think there's often a perceived negativity or awkwardness when it comes to evangelism, right? And so I, a lot of times I want to make sure I'm really being thoughtful and sensitive in how I go about spiritual conversations with people who aren't Christians. And I think there's good reason for that, right? Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 4 to let our speech be tasteful as we engage with each individual person, and you know, um, for any of our non-Christian friends that might be listening in today, uh, let me just pause and say, you know, I hope I can un- help you understand uh, some of the tension that your Christian friends feel when it comes to talking about our faith with you. We don't unnecessarily want to offend you or make you feel uncomfortable or just like make you believe what we believe and get you on our team. But we also believe that we're talking about matters of eternal significance. So like bear with us. Bear with our feeble and awkward attempts to try to talk with you about this. Uh, It's out of love, but it's not always easy for us. And so as much as I want to be tactful, thoughtful, and tasteful in sharing the gospel, and I think that's good, but I think this parable shows us that we also ought to be faithful and even bountiful in our attempts to talk about Jesus, regardless of how we think things might turn out. You know, when a sower sowed a field, he wouldn't overthink where each individual seed was going to go. I mean, share tactfully, yes. But just as importantly, share faithfully, even liberally. So my point is, let's not be so concerned with how we come across that we're just paralyzed and never get anything across about Christ. So uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, what are some ways, and this, is, this would be worth thinking through more later, but what are some ways that you could begin to sow the message of Jesus more generously, more faithfully, more liberally? Uh, maybe you could just seek to be more transparent in some of your conversations about your own struggles in life and how Christ makes a difference in those. Uh, maybe you could drop a note or send a text to your neighbors or coworkers, checking in on them these days and just letting them know you're praying for them. Maybe you could include like a link or a little card to something like the story film. You could go to thestoryfilm.com and say, you know, this is something that really gives me hope in times like these. Uh, Maybe you could offer to read the Bible with a friend. You can ask them if they've ever read it and if they would have any interest in reading it with you. Uh, We've got some great resources on this. One we already sent out in the Gospel Resources of Mark uh, blog post, but I'll do another post early this week and resend that. You know, or maybe there's somebody in your life who's a good friend And you've just never gotten around to talking with them about Jesus. And maybe it's time that you just just tell them, you know, we've been friends for a long time. And there's something that's really important to me that I've never talked to you about. And I'd like to do that. But as you do that, don't expect that everyone will respond positively. 
right? A lot of times I want to think if I can just explain things well enough, if I can just be winsome enough, of course everybody will come to know and love Jesus because, you know, he's amazing. I think he's amazing. You should think he's amazing. But that's just not always the case. You know, and it makes me wonder if Jesus is true and his message is true, why don't more people believe it? Well, Jesus addresses that question in the rest of the parable itself. So let's, let's look at it. He says that the word, the message of God's kingdom, the gospel, it's going to fall on four different types of soil. That is to say, four different types of people. Four different ways of listening and responding to God's message. And in three of the four, God's word does not produce any lasting change. And it's not because the seed is no good. It's in the soil, the listening. And there's three reasons that Jesus gives why his message doesn't last in people's lives. And these are apathy, difficulty, and luxury. Apathy, difficulty, and luxury. First, apathy. This is the hard soil. Verse 15. He said, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So these are people who hear God's word, but it's literally in one ear and out the other. They have no real interest in it, and so they're marked by apathy. And now notice what Jesus says happens to them. It's not enough that the seed just kind of lays on the surface and never penetrates, but he says Satan immediately comes and takes away the word. Now, there's a thought for anybody listening who might not be very much interested in God or spiritual things. You'd much rather be doing something else this morning instead of listening to me. But have you ever considered that your attention or interest level is actually being affected by an evil spiritual force? (laughs) The Apostle Paul, this is what he says is going on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, one of his letters to the New Testament church, he says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is just the sort of thing that C.S. Lewis imagined uh, demons would be up to in his fascinating book, The Screwtape Letters. Uh, He depicts one scene where there's a particular man sitting in the British Museum, and he's reading a book. And as he's reading, uh, he begins to think about God. He begins to think about eternal things. And so the demon's tactic to counter this, uh, these dangerous thoughts, was not by prompting intellectual arguments in the man's mind, but that suggesting this sort of topic would be much better suited to a full stomach, and it was quite past time for lunch. So as soon as the man leaves the museum to go get his food, you know, he's hit with all sorts of noise and entertainment, and those haunting thoughts of eternal matters are now far in the past. So how about you? Do Jesus' words just go in one ear and out the other for you? Do you seek to understand them? Are you willing to put forth any effort to understand them? If not, this may be you. And then second is the rocky or shallow soil. Verse 16, he says, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So these are people who at first show great interest in Christ and maybe even look like they're growing rapidly as a Christian until it gets too hard. 
They encounter some difficulty of the Christian life. Maybe they experience ridicule or encounter persecution. Uh, or maybe faithfulness to Christ and his teaching just gets too demanding. Their faith is shallow. They have not listened deeply to Jesus, and so their faith is not deeply rooted, and they don't weather the storms. How about you? Is your hearing of God's word shallow? Do you hear it, you know, give it a mental like, and then just scroll on to the next thing in life? Shallow listening leads to shallow faith. And then third, there's the thorny soil, and this is the temptation of luxury. Verse 18, he says, And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So this type of person is also someone who seems to respond positively to the message of Christ, but ultimately they're distracted by the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and, you know, just the desire for other things. And so God's work in their life is suffocated. They're never actually changed by God's word because, you know, there's just so many other things to listen to. The message of Jesus was not the main thing in their lives. There was too much competition for their attention, too much competition for their resources. So these are those who always have time for work, but hardly time for worship. Always time to play, but rarely have time to pray. Usually make time for hanging out with friends or whoever they want to, but they don't prioritize meaningful Christian fellowship. Now, of course, we must work. We can play. God is honored by work well done and rest well spent. But the question is, what comes first for you? What is your main thing in the midst of all the other things. Have other things grown up to the point where they choke out God's work in your life, where you just hardly ever seem to have enough money left to give, enough time left to pray or serve, enough energy left to engage in spiritual conversation because you've spent it all on making your life as good and comfortable as possible. Lots of good things can grow up so big so quickly that they choke out the God thing the main thing. And then last, of course, is the good soil. Verse 20, he said, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Okay, so obviously it seems like from the parable, this is the soil you would want to be, <laughs> right? So the million-dollar question then is, which one am I? How do I know if I'm like good soil or bad soil? Well, here's the soil test. Look closely. He says, those who are good soil are those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. They are good listeners. They listen to Jesus in such a way that changes them. How do you listen to Jesus? Do you engage with Scripture, either when it's taught on Sundays or if it's read in your home or you're listening to it on your smartphone? Do you engage with the Word of Christ in such a way that you, you humble yourself before Him? You seek to be changed by Him. 
You know, is the message of Scripture, the message of God's holy love for you in Christ, how he gave his own life for you to forgive you of your sin and bring you back to himself, is that message precious to you? And then how do I know if I'm listening like that? Like, how do I know if I'm listening well? There's really only one way, only one way to tell if you're listening is good. It's given here in the passage. It's those that hear it, accept it, and bear fruit. But what does that even mean, right? Like bear fruit. Okay, great. I think we can generally say, looking at the New Testament, that bearing fruit for Christians means two things. One, transformation. Two, multiplication. So transformation. Think, think about what happens to a seed. As it grows from a seed into a stalk of, you know, wheat or corn or whatever, like that thing gets transformed. It is radically, though gradually, transformed into a crop that's pleasing to the farmer. So transformation means that as you humbly receive the message of Christ, you are actually changed by it. You're in a process of turning away from your natural selfish impulses and are growing in what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I like the way the Living Bible paraphrases the famous passage on the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5. It says this, When you follow your own wrong inclinations, your lives will produce these evil results, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, spiritism, encouraging the activity of demons, hatred and fighting, jealousy and anger, constant effort to get the best for yourself, complaints, criticism, the feeling that everyone else is wrong except for those in your own little group, and there will be wrong doctrine, envy, murder, drunkenness, wild parties, and all that sort of thing. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce, he will bear this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's transformation. And then it leads to multiplication. Multiplication means making more little plants. You know, like a plant, when it's fully grown, bears more seeds. And so as you receive the message of Christ, you give it away to others. You invest the message of Christ into the lives of others around you. Multiplication. But this bearing fruit business, you know, transformation, multiplication, like this, this is a hard path. Jesus describes his own life and ministry like this in John chapter 12. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. For Jesus, the path to bearing fruit is through death. And when he says, it's time for me to be glorified, you know, he means it's time for me to die for the sin of the world, to be lifted up on a cross. Unless he dies, we get no life. And while, like, of course, the sacrifice of Christ is totally unique in what it accomplishes, it is not so different from the type of life that he calls his followers into. He does not let us off the hook. In the very next verses, after he talks about his own death, he says this, whoever loves his life loses it. 
But whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. And there's another John, John Stott, not a John from the Bible, but still a good quote, uh, brings it home. He says, the place of suffering in service and of passion in mission is hardly ever taught today. But the greatest single secret of evangelistic or missionary effectiveness is the willingness to suffer and die. It may be a death to popularity by faithfully preaching the unpopular biblical gospel or to pride by the use of modest methods in reliance on the Holy Spirit or to racial and national prejudice by identification with another culture or to material comfort by adopting a simple lifestyle. But the servant must suffer if he is to bring light to the nations and the seed must die if it is to multiply. So, transformation, multiplication, bearing fruit for God from good soil. Is this who you want to be? You might say, I see now, I see now that my, my heart may not be good soil. If I'm honest, I'm either apathetic, tempted to give up on Christ for various reasons, or other things have overgrown and overshadowed my love for God. How, how do I become good soil? These aren't like rigid categories. This is why Jesus tells the parable to get us to listen. It's all in the listening. Listen to Jesus. Listen to his words, to his life, to his work on the cross for you. Listen to him like your life depends on it. Keep coming back to him. Keep coming back to his words until they change you. Wrestle with them. Let the message of Christ do its work in you. And we're going to have great opportunity to do that in the remainder of our days as we study through the book of Mark. We're going to be seeing Jesus, what he said, what he did, who he was. Will you listen to him? It's an act of love. We'll close with Jesus' own words at the end of this parable. He said, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear. Grant us the humility to really listen to you, to really listen to your words. That what you have to say is more important than what we have to say and is more important than all the other voices that we could be listening to. So I pray for all of us who listen today that we would be careful how we listen. If we realize that we have not cared for your words, give us ears to hear. Help us to truly hear you. We pray all this through Christ. Amen.